Today is the 8th of June, and I'm Richie. And I'm Bill. I'm Jason. And this is episode 3 of the Lost Dice Cast, brought to you by the Lost Dice blog. Um, you can find us at www.lostdice.com. Um, we are three longtime friends trying to cover all corners of tabletop gaming here. Um, we all are very involved in the hobby, um, but we find that there is a bit of a challenge now because we are all uh, fathers with young children. So we're trying to, when we can, cover as much as we can about what we're passionate about. So with that being said, let's talk about uh, what we've been working on or playing lately. Um, I just want to jump in quick. We were going to actually do an episode yesterday. Um, I unfortunately got wildly sidetracked by my child who wanted to get up and have me read Harry Potter while she ate cashews and drank milk. And that was what we did until 11 o'clock last night. So... <laughs> that sounds about right. It's not even like it was a, oh, she's sick. Oh, I can't do this. This is t-. It's like, no, she just wanted to be up and eat cashews. So what, whatever I rolled with it. Late night cashews is a good deal. Late night I mean, cashews. That sounds all right. Premium nuts. Do I have so, to be a kid to do this? Or like, is there a requirement here? You can I'll read this Harry right Potter now. to you while you eat cashews. Yeah, good, because I'm not reading. <laughs> you guys live close enough. You could do this right now. Just saying. I'm not opposed to this. So actually, one thing, so um, we did get a little bit of a later start tonight than I would have liked to do, but um, I want to rant slightly about retail stores and their inability to actually show accurate inventory on their websites. So, so we you just want to make a case for Amazon is what you're trying to say? No, not completely, but it's kind of hard not to sometimes. Because actually, so what was one thing that I did observe is what I've been observing is interesting games in the wild at big box stores. So tonight I went to Barnes & Noble. We were looking for a specific uh, book to pick up for a gift uh, for my wife's dad because we're going out of town to go visit them tomorrow. Their website said they had one in stock, and that was the whole reason I went out to Barnes & Noble. Oh, but then when I got there, guess what they didn't have? Didn't have the book. However, what I observe there now, they've always had a bunch of games, which has always been cool. A lot of interesting stuff. They actually have like a little Chessex dice display in Barnes & Noble. Really? Discuss. Yeah, my mind was wildly blown. I mean, they had like they've a relatively carried, large assortment. Yeah, they've always carried like RPGs, like or at least like some of the main books from most of the larger RPGs out there. You know, like Pathfinder, D&D, and those kind of things. But I, I don't think I've ever seen dice in there or anything like that at all. I mean, um, last time I was in there, I noticed they had all those uh, those plastic pop figures or whatever they're called. Yep, the Funko um, Pops. Yeah, like I, and they were like the places littered with it. I was like, this isn't, this is weird. It's kind of a bookstore, but maybe not. Well, the whole thing is, is the one that's closest to me is the one in Brookfield, and you have to actually go up to the second story if you seriously are actually looking for a specific book, typically. There's some books on the first floor, but it's mostly, you know, uh, giftables. They actually have, like, four mini, like, uh, shelving sections dedicated to different games. It's actually broken out by genre now. They actually have a party game section, RPG section, um you know, strategy game section. So they're actually, they've actually, they are like now actually a destination for games in a kind of a weird way. Interesting. Are they just like full retail price? I've never honestly looked. Yeah, everything is full price, of course. But, and then I guess to conclude my story is that Target is also becoming a place that I've noticed as well, and I, th I think I've even spoke to it before, where it's interesting what they actually carry in store now, too, where once upon a time they were only Milton Bradley. Now, with over the past few years, they actually carry things that are worth playing. But what's interesting about their online representation of what inventory they had in store, they have this weird messed up thing that actually, it makes it look like they have things in stock, but if you order it, it can be in the store. So this book we were looking for, it said they might have two in the store. They actually had like seven to eight copies of the book. So at this point, I guess I would say, people, if you're actually looking for something, it's 2017 and you still can't actually trust a store's website to tell you what live inventory they have. It, this is not a thing for too much yeah and i mean a lot of sites have had this technology for roughly a decade it feels like and it still ain't right so i'm gonna get off it now all right so bill you wanted to talk a little bit about um finally getting finishing touches on your abyssal dwarf army 
Yeah, I um I made a ton of progress. Uh, in fact, most of the painting is done. Um, I had to I hit a huge roadblock in that I ran out of grass, which is dumb. Um, so I had to order the green of, stuff or the static grass. Uh, no, the little static tall grass stuff that you put on there in patches or whatever. So Got I, it. I, and so I went to go order that stuff, and I spent no joke more time trying to find the same color because this project has taken me so many years. They no longer make that product and that color anymore oh no so it's so basically had, time to make a tough decision maybe yeah well luckily army painter um is still making similar products but the size shape and color is different so i found one that's close and mixed them in and i can tell but um hopefully it's not super obvious but it, it's gonna drive me crazy forever i don't know that most that's too bad we'll will notice though i mean my whole I have kind of given up on trying really hard on painting because I'm putting the uh, the one foot rule super hard into effect because yeah. it's hard enough to find time to paint right now. But ugh, I don't know. I used to really worry about stuff looking bad. Now I just wanted to have color on it. No, yeah, honestly, like anything on the table, like if it's at arm's length and it looks decent, it's not just primer, you know, black or gray or whatever. Like you're good. You're in good shape. Like well, you're, thanks you're, to that, you're leagues ahead of most people that play these games. Frankly. All right. Well, thanks to that dip that you turned me on to as well. I mean, that stuff, mm-hmm. that stuff makes all the difference. Yeah, definitely. I, it, I mean, Army Painter makes some excellent products for sure. Um, they're not sponsoring this, but they, uh, they definitely <laughs> are. You know, an interesting company that makes some some really nice products. Uh, I've used a lot of their static grass. Um, they have some. Uh, they have a wash um, line, uh, which is like. A, a wash is just like a thin down low pigment count paint that you can put over the top of stuff and it sinks into the crevices and cracks and makes it look like you knew what you're doing and shaded it so that there's multiple yes. gradients of colors. It's a, you know, it's an easy cheat to get that sort of, you know, to get a flesh tone to have light and dark on it or to get leather to have dark spots and lighter spots like it's worn. Um, so I, they have a whole set of those. Um, I use those heavily. Um, because the color match um, uh, matches the dip. So um, I, if I'm just doing a single figure, I can wash them and have it look the same as if I dip them. Um, so I finished the majority of that. Uh, there's a few more I have to to dip and then finish their basing, but basically all the painting is actually done. Including oh, congrats. The, the fancy um, uh, dragon uh, abyssal something or other, I forget what it's called. Right. So just to illustrate to you how out of touch I am with any mini painting, when you started talking about dip, I assumed you were talking, talking about, about that tobacco product, that really good <laughs> salsa that we had when we were playing at Bill's house last time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, now I'm picturing you just into the salsa and eating with chips. Yeah, They're delicious. <laughs> dipping, dipping your guys into that, uh, uh, what was it, cucumber salsa. Yeah. And that eating was, it off of them. That was delicious. Really good. I want some of that. Way to go. That stuff was good. Now you're making me hungry yeah no it's a it's a weird thing because like i i don't think i've ever truly finished army i've always finished units or chunks of an army like sure sure uh, or, sure. or i've finished enough things that for a specific game all of the things on the table have been painted but never like the full collection of miniatures i have for an army um, so that's a it's a nice thing to have i'm looking forward to just um, i should have a little bit of time this weekend to finish the last few pieces on this and then we will take some pictures uh and we'll get them posted up yeah, most this is a long time coming. Well, congratulations, man. It's that's definitely a good personal victory. Yeah, so heads up, you're on retouch duty, by the way. <laughs> hey, no problem. <laughs> Happy to do it. Uh, so, Jason, let's let's talk about Tabletopia.com. Yeah. So twice in the past week, actually, I've had the opportunity to play a couple games on Tabletopia, which is sort of a digital tabletop that lets people play board games. And you can uh, basically thank me for that for bailing out on RPGing, right? Yeah, completely. We were like, excellent. All right, what do we do now? <laughs> well, we could play a board game. And one of the other people in our group actually has a premium membership as a result of being a Kickstarter backer for another couple of months. So no, we had full on. access to everything. Oh, so that so it's basically when you go into Tabletopia, you get some games, but if you're premium, you get all games? Yeah, I'm not totally sure how it works. I know some of them restrict options in the games. I looked at one game several months ago when I was checking it out, and it only had a two-player option. If you wanted more players, then you needed to purchase some sort of subscription. So and is it... Hmm. 
is it is it more so that if the person with premium hosts then more people yeah. can get in only Got one it. person needs it yeah it's kind of interesting so as opposed to like tabletop simulator where you you buy it and then play everybody's pirated versions of these games these are all official from on tabletopia they're all supported by the publishers that they work with oh that's great yeah so so like, asmodee or not asmodee I don't know. I doubt it. I haven't really looked too deep into the catalog, but oh, um, so it's everybody but Asmodee. Then I got it. I got you. Yeah, <laughs> but so as a result, everything's a lot more refined. You know, just appearance-wise, and like you start it, and the game is automatically set up and ready to go for whatever number of players that you're playing with. Um, and it, yeah, it works pretty well. We played um, a couple different games. Uh, we played one called Village, another two-player game called Santorini, and then Samurai, which, Bill, I know that's one you know, because yeah, I, I mean, have I your copy of it um, sitting right next to me, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, Samurai's um, another. That was, that's a fun game. With Tabletopia and with um, Tabletop Simulator, they both kind of come with some growing pains because really they're kind of just like physics engines with all of the game assets inside of it right yeah so it's like okay i need to figure out how to pick this up or drag it or flip it or whatever and um some of the games like uh santorini for example doesn't like the physics engine very much so in that game basically it's a two-player game and you are stacking um these pieces of buildings on top of each other and moving your your two little guys around the board climbing up on these buildings and trying to be the first person to get on the level three of this building um but sometimes when you place a piece down it explodes off the table and sends pieces <laughs> flying <laughs> and that's because, that's and you... because tabletop simulator is basically designed just so you could flip the table yeah basically so it's like if everything's not lined up right you might get some crazy glitches where stuff just explodes and then you just accept that that's the end of the game <laughs> wow but um <laughs> for, for more standard games where you're not stacking things three and four high it, it worked really well and we didn't have any issues um, but tabletopia does fine with all these games oh i was talking about tabletopia i'm i'm guessing tabletop simulator might have some similar issues um oh interesting okay but I know, also, like it's I mentioned, not tied into that it's not just like a layer above tabletop simulator that manages the games I'm not sure what you mean. Like, so the Tabletopia is not like a service where they put games into Tabletop Simulator. No, those are they're separate gotcha. separate entities oh, completely. Interesting. Yeah, in Tabletopia, you can actually run it out of your web browser. I've had the best luck actually downloading it through Steam and running it that way. Um, but so like, like I said, Tabletop Simulator is something that you purchase one time, and Tabletopia is sort of a subscription service. Um, where you can buy, you know, a month or year at a time or something like that. And they also have an option for, it's like a weekend purchase for like three or $4. So, I mean, it's kind of a lot, but you know, if you're getting a group of people to play some of the bigger games on there, you know, three or four bucks really isn't that bad. Oh, if you're right, going to spend yeah. several hours playing maybe once or even twice. So I don't know. It's pretty neat. Huh. I, I enjoyed the time that I spent with it so far, and I'm hoping to get some more people to do that more in the future, especially I because I am locked at home every evening all by myself with a sleeping child <laughs> so this is the way i get to play board games hopefully in the that future sounds right. actually the the model kind of almost reminds me of the the whole idea behind some of like the gaming cafes where it's like you you pay so what you pay five bucks but you get a whole evening there with your friends and everybody gets to play then you don't have to own everything yeah and i mean the fact that it has all this official support from the publishers i would hope that some of that money is going their way to encourage them to keep releasing things on there one thing that's been pretty neat is i know that there's been in several instances games that go up on kickstarter and then they have their tabletopia version available for you to play so you can actually play it and try it out before you pledge towards it that's slightly brilliant neat all right so let's get into the meat of the podcast so billy you wanted to talk about shadow war armageddon yeah, um, and most of it is just um, I, I picked up the rule book for this. Uh, Shadow War Armageddon is um, a um, skirmish game from Games Workshop. Uh, the premise of this game is uh, heavily based, in fact, almost identically based off of a game called Necromunda that Games Workshop made in the 90s. Um, and it's a, it is a game and a style of game that I um, am, you know, it, it's what keeps me in gaming it's what it is why i enjoy miniature gaming most uh, it's the it is it was a, the right mix of sci-fi and cyberpunk and 
war game all at the same time um, with, you know, a very heavy, heavy handedness in terms of like forcing you into creating narratives and stories by playing the game. Um, and they do this through um, campaigns and narrative gameplay and, you know, just just in the act of creating your gang, you name all your guys. Um, in most war games um, where there's, you know, 100 figures on each side of the table, no one names their guys. Maybe you gave your general a name or a few other, you know, maybe characters on your side or heroes. But in this game, everybody is a character. You know, everybody has their own personality that is behind it. Um, is this a 40k thing or is this its own separate yeah, no, entity it is, it is a separate entity but it, it heavily cribs from the 40k universe so like the um what i mean by that is the the factions and the and the um actual guys fighting inside of this are all 40k based so you have your space marines and you have um your, your tyranids and your alien races and you have your orcs and all that stuff um, and the, the way they position um, Shadow War is the, that these are your veteran units, your veteran factions or, or um, crack teams from these larger armies being sent into these hive worlds um, that uh, need some sort of cleansing or extermination, etc. So the um, Shadow War is set now in the 40k universe, whereas before it was kind of set off to the side, meaning uh, what I mean by that is um, these hive worlds are essentially industry built on top of industry built on top of city built on top of industry so if you can um you know imagine um taking new york and piling it on top of new york a hundred times until it got real small at the top that's what a hive city is um it's just city built on city um you know with and all for the purposes of manufacturing war or weapons or whatever you can you know whatever the whatever the 40k thing is uh, their, their trope is obviously war and more war um all the time but they've got somewhat of a rich, like, flavor going on here that they've they, established. They do, and they kept some of it, but what really bums me out is they pulled all, like, Necromunda used to have gangs, and there were, there were houses, there were, there were royal families inside of it, and, and then the royal families had kids, and the kids were in the gangs that would fight on behalf of their parents and the, the, the upper echelons of, of these um, royal families that were into smuggling and drug selling and um, weapon manufacturing and stuff like that. Um, so there was, there was a much deeper, um, you know, back into it that I, that hooked me years ago. Um, this right. kind of eschews that and makes light mention of these houses um, and these, you know, these tropes that were there and then kind of shoehorns in um an orc um uh overtaking of this planet and in the process of them overtaking they're going from hive city to hive city and slowly taking it over and um they they get their they reach these hive cities and they're having a hard time penetrating into and and taking over them entirely to capture the industry or the thing that you know the the, the wealth that's there um that they're they're looking to conquer um, so, I guess it's a little, yeah. it's a little too, a little unfortunate that they pulled it out because I do remember that and I remember really liking that because to me that almost felt like kind of like a, I mean, it isn't quite like Dune, but I mean, I guess the way in Dune where you have like all the different houses and everyone's plotting yep. against each other, you got kind of the whole, I don't know, I I always really dug that aspect of it, so yeah, and eh, it's a little sad that there's less focus on it, yeah. but I suppose on your own table you could bring that back if you wanted to. Yeah, they blame like they blame this in this case like the the guy who is in charge of the planet the the mayor or whatever he's called his name is von Straub um, like they still have some you know good character um, you know in the back end where they allude to some of this stuff and how he was bribed or or they they allude to like actions like this that happened they allude to backstory that makes it sound like this guy is a total mess up and that then the higher-ups in the actual armies fighting over the act over other planets and in nearby systems are like oh that guy's just a jag and and it's his fault that this happened he messed up uh you know he messed up defending the hive cities and now it's his problem and they want to pin the blame on him um i'm glossing over some of the stuff that's there but it's it's it, yeah. you know it's somewhat interesting um, yeah. what's weird is that you know in in Necromunda for example there were really no space marines there were no guys in giant suits of armor um and the goggles and those goggles on the cover yes. of the book are yeah. intense <laughs> yeah yeah no they got a they got a that's a space marine scout on the front and uh that's actually they like that's kind of the depiction of the game the the box set that they sold to like 50 people before it sold out um was uh the box that included uh, a space marine scout um, kill team kind of small group and then an orc 
um, kill team. So like again, small, like I think 10 figures aside kind of size game. So, you know, it really lends itself to, you know, being able to invest, you know, the time in a campaign where you can name all your guys and then things happen to them. They die or they get horribly injured and, you know, persistent like, injuries yeah, are still a thing. Yeah, persi- I mean, you, honestly, like from a core rule set standpoint, almost all the same stuff is there in, from Necromunda. Uh, cleaned up. They fixed a few things from what I can, from what I can tell. But it's been so many years, it's hard to really compare it. Um, so I'm just going based on, you know, my recollection at this point because it's been so many years since I played Necromunda. So you have a copy of this then? Yeah, I got a copy of just the nice. rulebook. Um, you know, they they offered the rulebook because, um, like I said, they made like 50 whole copies of the box set with miniatures and terrain and stuff, which is a dick move. Um, you know, cause I would have gladly bought that, but I didn't, I was, I happened to be busy and that particular week I didn't pre-order it and it, that was it. Like <laughs> after everybody pre-ordered and that was that, they didn't have any more copies. It was done. So, but I mean, you, you still have like your, uh, your Necromunda, uh, oh, buildings yeah. and stuff. So like, I mean, does that stuff all look like it would repurpose well with the new rule set? Yeah. I, I mean, it still plays the same way. A lot of a lot of what I find funny is it's the same problem that um, we had back playing Necromunda was um, a lot of people that would we'd do pickup games at, at the local stores back then, and they wouldn't want to have that much terrain on the table. But the rules very explicitly describe and tell you to fill the table with stuff. Not, oh, yeah, you, you have like, to have a lot of buildings and wreckage right. to this be game, hiding around. This game relies on cover, height, um, you know, tactical advantages by sneaking around, staying hidden, that sort of thing. Um, and if you just have a big open field, none of those rules apply to you because you're standing in the open. And so then it becomes a shooting gallery and everybody's dead in, in a few turns. And it's really not a lot of fun. Um, this game, because the rules, um, you know, harp, har- you know, harken back to that stuff, it's a lot of the same problem. So, like, there are some you know, mixed reviews that I've read where I've seen people complain and it's like, well, okay, but like put 10 more things on your table. I know that's hard sometimes because that requires a lot of terrain and pieces and all that, but right. It, it, Go it, get a it soda can in. then and throw it down. Honestly, <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. Go spray paint some like, soda bottles and, uh, you know, a deodorant canister and a few other things and stack them up and it's fine like that i mean that works just as good as anything else um in in this sort of game I well mean, the nice a lot thing of the stuff about we built back in the day a lot of the terrain i built back then is exactly that we tore apart cameras we tore apart yeah um like uh trucks and a uh, toy space station and a crane and i mean i got all kinds of things that we used for that stuff and they were just like busted toys like you know from goodwill and, and st vinnie's and, and the like well you had some really nice modular building pieces where it was kind of like decayed destructed buildings where there were deliberate spots where you could climb up to another story and you'd be behind a half wall and then you'd yep. go into another room like now i think a lot of people get turned off when they feel like they have to they're they need to buy those things but yeah to your point i mean really if you have a cardboard box and you can cut a couple of holes in it and maybe just hot glue a floor halfway in between it you have yourself a two-story building and you're ready to go yep and and if you put a skull in it that makes it look just like games workshop Right, and you know, it's, and that's the thing too with a lot of this stuff. It doesn't even have to look pretty. I mean, just throw some stuff down on the table, make some rough things to have the guys climb on, and you can have a really good match. Yep. Just use your imagination a little bit, really. Well, of course. I mean, yeah, the whole thing is just an abstraction. Like, I mean, and like you know, in my head, like you know, I like when I think about Necromunda, I think about like a skirmish game like this. I think about like gang factions in Blade Runner and stuff like that where you just have this incredibly dense urban area um, you know that is falling apart that is decaying and that's where you're hiding and you're fighting and that you, there's all kinds of nooks and crannies and little alleyways and broken down vehicles just whatever you want to hide behind it all of that stuff is there and exists um, so that's what you know helps feed that I mean, you know and it also you know lends itself to the backstory and the backstory gets built by doing things like you know if you're playing a campaign at the end of a ma- end of a match that you would play against somebody else, you go out and search for money, or try to earn money by doing things, or by harvesting something. But you know, you get pieces of territory and the like, and they've kept a lot of that same feel there. Um, it's not nearly as detailed as it used to be, um, where it was like this massive, insane chart of locations and that. Um, but it's it's still it still feels the same way. You still have you're still sacrificing guys on your team to go get you funds to 
buy weapons, to buy armor, to buy whatever thing you need to do, or to recruit more, more, um, you know, young, you know, gun, young gang guys on your team, um, and that sort of thing. So it's and then you're flush with cash, and then mm-hmm. you can get the drugs and the guns. Yep. They also like some of this too. Also takes out the like there were in Necromunda there were some expansions that created and added gangs that were broken, and it's putting it nicely. Um, they were just so overpowered that it was not not fun to have them involved in the game. Um, this kind of helps eliminate that by evening the playing field. They gave us you know points that apply to those teams, um, and they all apply to current ranges of miniatures. So I mean, from a from like a, a gameplay standpoint, you can straight up go buy a, like one box of miniatures and we could start playing this. Like it's it's it is that simple. It's not something where you got to go buy you know two dozen you know boxes of things and all this sort of nonsense. It's it's very straightforward. Or you know you can play games with that with people like me who've got plenty for everybody. Um, nice. Yeah, it, I mean overall, I'm I'm glad this game came back out. I hope they continue to support it. Um, and I kind of hope they decide to right in right back in the old gangs that are out there um because um the i own most of that um almost all of it actually um <laughs> like i mean i'm done uh, the only gang i don't have for original necromunda is redemptionists they were like some cultist kind of guys um and i don't know i mean unless i inherit a bag of money i am not going to be buying those at 15 bucks a piece on ebay right but five cultists for ten dollars on the bottom of their website yeah right <laughs> and that's well that's the thing yeah like i mean part of like for me the nostalgia is like the original figures and uh, the sculpts they had and now it, they've come back with similar but different type you know things but yeah if you if you look at their site too like they also have like the starter kits like the these box sets of you know say 12 or 14 miniatures like those sets are more than enough figures. You wouldn't even need all of those to start a game. That's 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 sure, that size. Right. Like, so, the you know while the prices are still incredibly steep to buy that stuff because it's Games Workshop, um, it's actually relatively inexpensive per compared to all the other stuff Games Workshop does. I mean, well, it's, at it's some pricey. point in time, I'm, I'll be down to try this out. See yeah. how it compares to Necromunda. Yeah, the rule set seems neat. Um, what I like about it the most is that uh, it's. It you know it's easy enough to where like we can show up with teams. These games will go fast. Like I don't. I mean, most of the scenarios that I've looked at so far shouldn't last more than you know forty five minutes to an hour. Um, once you have the rules down, it's one of those things we could you know do a narrative campaign in the afternoon, play say three rounds a piece, maybe four depending on time, and sure. and that would allow us to progress through and have a storyline. You know, have a have, you know some through characters or NPCs and that sort of thing that play into it. Um, and not have to be like you know invested for weeks and weeks and months and months to do something like that. So that's uh you know it's it's appealing and it was it was it's for me it's just another rule book and that's something that I I enjoy you know looking at and reading through and seeing what they did and they kept all the stuff that I really liked about um, Necromunda inside it for the most part. Aside from some and of the, you said you didn't read books. You just need <laughs> yeah. a guy with goggles kicking an orc in the chest and you're set. Pretty much. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I, I read plenty of like these books, but they're they're not really books. They're written for like five year olds. There is okay, something like, to like, like the the big collection of the rule sets. Like I have, I mean, I'm starting to collect piles of rule sets for games that I don't know that I'll ever play. I mean, for RPGs and stuff. But like, I don't know. They're just so damn cool. It's just so neat to see what some of these different in like between individuals and companies, just what they come up with for these intricate rule sets just the thought that goes into it alone yeah i mean it's i mean it's the same with other games too like you know for whatever fantasy or age of sigmar i've i have a lot of those books not quite all of them but i have a big chunk of them at least the rule book side of it and uh some of the back end campaigns like those are the those are the ones i enjoy the most um they usually fetch and you know they're usually also the most expensive ones too so i don't i tend not to get a lot of those um you know but the like some of the neatest books that they that Games Workshop makes are not the rule books. They're the ones that supplement the rule books with like a weird through story that fills out the world for you so that you can pick a spot inside of it and go, you know, have your story take place inside of there. You know, like in this case that, you know, talks about a specific hive called Armageddon, you know, like if they release some additional fluff books, maybe they would talk about the other hive cities that are on the planet and what, what's different about them or what makes them unique. You know, that, that, that stuff is neat to me because then that lets me, fill in and have a cool story right 
So yeah, that's a cool. new game. I, it, is, it is not Necromunda, sadly, but it's uh, it's pretty dang close, and I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, frankly, I was not expecting anything like this to ever happen again from that company. Frankly, they they had gone down such a, a bad tunnel and canceled so many other games that were smaller, like this, like Mordheim and and um, Warmaster and Necromunda and all that. They they'd canned those and. It got down to 40k and fantasy, and then they also they still have the contract for uh, Lord of the Rings, so they got that going too. But I, I I did not have a lot of faith, and here we are. We got a cool rule book and modern rule set that applies to their current line of figures, so you can get whatever used figures you want. I mean, you can. That's what I like. I, what I like about it most is you can just go buy whatever you want that fits in 40k. It'll fit into this, and that's pretty. Nice. That's pretty slick. Um, so what did so. they just get in the habit of like killing off skirmish games? Is that kind of largely what went away? Yeah, they had a they had a whole line of games called specialist games, and they they basically um, ended up you know slowly weeding those out and not producing the mini miniatures for a while, and then they stopped releasing the books, and then all of a sudden they came back and released some books, and then reissued some figures and made some more, and then that disappeared again. Um, it was one of those things like, I, I don't think they made a lot of money on these compared to their other lines of games. And well, that's the only reason a company of that size is going to can something at the end of the day. Right. And, really? And so hopefully because this has a lot of overlap with the existing product lines that do make them a lot of money, they'll be support there long term. Um, I don't, you know, I don't need, you know, updated rule sets every year for this sort of thing, but no, figures that all. match the rules that match what you're carrying you know because this game is very much of what you see is what you get guy's got a knife and a bolt gun those are the stats that he needs to use and play on the table whereas you know other games use an abstraction layer well they all got this type of gun and maybe one guy has a special gun inside that unit and there's there's you know there's more gray area there and some of those guys may have knives on them but it doesn't really matter um sure in this game it, it absolutely matters because each you know individual model is represented and account you know has to be accounted for so that's that is that is some of the appeal. I I'm excited for it and hopefully I'll find a chance to get it. More importantly, like the guys that I play 40k without in uh, Madison, uh, I can almost guarantee you there will be skirmishes that lead up to larger battles that lead up to a massive fight um, when they do their weekend long um, treks through playing 40k. And, Heck yeah! And that stuff is neat because that you know you just you know there the, we when when those games happen there's usually outcomes that matter that will affect the next game that will affect the game after that um you know and and there may be there may be small things but like there it's that's still neat that's what's fun to me absolutely oh cool man um definitely something that like i said we'll, ha- we'll have to find some time cuz I didn't play a lot of Necromunda, play a little bit with you, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So this has a lot. I'm, I'm pretty excited to give this game at least one try at some point. Hell yeah. It'll be fun. Alrighty. So uh, next week, next week, Friday, we were um, going to be diving back into our D and D campaign. This is, would have been the third leg of the campaign, but Everything is getting very crazy and very busy in real life. So one way we were looking at kind of um, pushing it forward, um, and Jason had this idea and I thought it was great, is to consider moving the campaign into Dungeon World. We hit a really good stopping point with the last campaign where it kind of reset the world a little bit, kind of reset the characters. The characters are the same but different. We had to re-roll characters. So we actually did some. I had email chains going out with the the group, and everybody gave me really rich backstories. I, I really pushed everybody to see, you know, what's your character's history? What's their family history? What are they known for? Now everybody's in this school. So then we did a session where it was like, okay, we rolled characters, and we did the, okay, how does everybody know everybody? And we kind of built a, a rich backstory there. So I have that all documented, and I started documenting the world a little bit. But what, where I kind of hit a stumbling block, where I'm kind of running out of a little bit of time, is that it's not that you can't have the players really drive the narrative and Dungeons and Dragons, but it being a little bit more tactical and technical, it helps to have a little bit of a world established already, which is why for Dungeons and Dragons, there's so many source books. I kind of went rogue when I first started this campaign and I basically built my own world, which everybody always does and everybody always thinks they have to do. And I don't regret doing it, but now when it comes to the point where I have to kind of establish a society and governments and 
I kind of hate myself a little bit. So what Dungeon World allows us to do is it becomes a little bit more of a player-driven narrative. So I kind of have to have more of a rough idea of what the world is. But it can be pretty fluid. So to me, DMing, Dungeon World feels like a win to bring things to a slightly more casual space without having to have the intensity behind... Uh, all the prep for a D&D campaign. So is it because you don't like Forgotten Realms? Is that the gist of it? You wouldn't be the first person to say that either. I don't even know that I don't like it because when I read it, I actually think it's neat. I mean, someone put a lot of thought into it. It's oh, for sure. there. No, it, it's it's just generic fantasy. Yes, though. right. I was that that is people's gripe about it overall. I mean, that that's been a thing for years and years and years. And people are like, yeah, Forgotten Realms is literally just high fantasy, and, there, and it falls right in the right in line. It's very stereotypical in terms of if you read other fantasy, it typically falls, you know, they're in lockstep. And so I, that was kind of was why, what I was wondering is if that was part of the decision or not uh, uh, to switch over was because part of it, that's kind of, part of I mean, it, yes. I, if you, you know, there's no shortage of high fantasy lately. Let's put it that way. No, part of it is that, yes. And then the other part of it is um, my personality where I typically can't, <laughs> I have a terrible habit of completely reinventing the wheel <laughs> I mean, really if you're running a campaign right in D D, that that just gives you a background and a flavor and just something to base the world off of it it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't stop you from still having a fun game but for me i mean you guys have known me long enough i just for whatever reason i always feel compelled to completely reinvent the wheel because i mean this was my first time dming was coming into this so i really could have just banked off of what was there but instead, I had to make my whole own world, which worked out you're just, okay. You're just an but... overachiever, and I'm a lazy band. <laughs> like, I, I, I fall back, like, when, when I was doing DM stuff and playing a lot more D&D once upon a time, Forgotten Realms was just easy to fall into because it, it was not a hard imaginary stretch to put things into that world for me. Cause it, well, one of the nice – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was going to say, well, one of the nice things about doing your own world, and I think that probably would be my preferred method of doing it almost always, too, is like if you don't know the world as well as someone else, they're going to have a bad time, you know, because everyone's right, going to come in absolutely. with all their preconceived notions of what the world is. If you say we're in this setting, well, they're going to come with all these years and years, especially in yep. the case of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to come with years and years of knowledge of characters and locations and items and all all that stuff that you might not have yeah well, and that's and like i said that's where it was that's where it was half of it because for me i was pretty new to it all so and i knew many of you had already had that history with it so it was a good level setter yeah and most of that too like it, like i i completely understand that a lot of a lot of the way around that um in the past um for previous campaigns that i've been in um the fix was to pick a part of Forgotten Realms that was near the edge because there aren't a lot of things near the edge of the map. And so that was your way out of saying, well, no, you can't go visit this character or this city. No, you can't go to Baldur's Gate. It's a trek across the entire world, you know, that kind of thing. Um, not a, not a short, easy distance to cover. And you, you use that displacement. It still puts you in the same realm to be able to pull from the same cast of, you know, monsters and locations and, um, you know, uh, settings and feelings and languages and all that stuff. You can absolutely do all that, but it kept them far enough away from just being like, let's go to Baller's Gate and, you know, be thieves, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, I'm, ex I'm excited for this. I mean, it's definitely going to be a change of pace. I mean, Dungeon World is definitely a lot more narrative-based and conversational, I think, than Dungeons & Dragons is. And it'll probably take some mental shifts for us all, too, just in the way that the dice and the moves and everything work. Because you don't really just take actions. You say what you're doing, and then if that you know if that's what triggers a move in the game, then you're rolling dice. You know, not every action is necessarily a dice roll, which is a pretty big departure from you know making athletics checks and stealth checks in Dungeons & Dragons. Already missing Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> it's definitely I'm not, less tactical. Yeah, I'm not super. I'm not super worried about it because actually, I feel like I was just kind of naturally heading this way a little bit anyway. What I had backed away from is having a lot of pre-planned maps and places. And a lot of the sessions we were doing, it was just a lot of um, 
I was letting you guys in your choices dictate, I mean, this is really the way anybody should be DMing anyway, but it was just a lot of your choices were dictating what happened next in the narrative, but I wasn't really always going in with a plan of exactly what each place was going to be and what it was going to look like. So now this just flips it on its head slightly where I still have to do a lot of that, but you guys help drive the narrative a little bit more and it's less less about all the setup and having a canned thing ready to go for everybody to explore and tear apart. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I enjoyed the sessions where we didn't have a single minute of combat as much as the ones where we did. You know, like I I think the, mm-hmm. I think they were they in my opinion they weigh equally. Um and they you know, they I don't see the differentiation as much, but I'm um, like for gaming, we're gaming, we'll try something new. Yeah, I don't think you you'll feel it, it. Yeah, you won't feel it too much because actually, what get, it's like, it just it, things get more simplistic because like, it's less about. I mean, there are still dice rolls and there's still checks. It's just not everything is a check, and the dice still help dictate what happens next. But then part of what happens in Dungeon World is you actually get uh, rewarded for failures. So it kind of it, you know the system pushes you a little bit more to actually try something. Maybe you don't succeed, but then that's how you get XP. So there's actually a bonus to being a little bit riskier and not just always playing it safe. Oh, so it's like Mario Kart where you're in last place and you can win. (laughs) In the same vein, though, I mean, it also really benefits you for, like, setting yourself up, like, in the story so that you're not putting yourself in dangerous positions because, really, rolling the dice is almost, like, the worst thing you can do because if you fail, that's when the the game master can hit you with something hard because like the the enemies in dungeon world and all of those like world games they don't actually like take normal actions when the other players are going basically everything they do is a reaction to the players in some way so you know rolling dice can be really good but you know that failure it gets you an experience point but it also might chop your dude's arm off <laughs> Fair enough. right well and that's kind of one of the things that I mean, to a point, like, I do enjoy the combat in D&D to a degree, but then sometimes I just kind of don't, because it's like, if you have to, like, because there can still be, 5e is so much better than what, you know, I've heard, there's a couple of different podcasts I've listened to, I'm just listening to people run sessions of 4e, I've never played it personally, but just some of those combats take hours upon hours and that wasn't usually the case and i got pretty good at keeping our combat lean and mean but it's a lot of work did you say sorry i missed that fourth edition yeah but like i mean fifth edition's better than that based on you know just what i've heard and what i'm seeing and like I, i was able to give you guys different challenges and scenarios where it worked out so that you know it it was a combat that had challenge to it and it was meaningful but even at that i mean when you're doing combat and you're and you're still rolling dice and and it's like 30 to 40 minutes later i mean oh yeah dungeons dragon suffers from the same thing that like the civ games suffer from the beginning Mm -hmm. levels or turns of the game are quick and i think the most fun part of the game once you start going up in level or you know, later in the years and decades and stuff. Death by the a game. thousand paper cuts. Yeah, everything gets bigger and more complicated and takes a lot longer. Yep. Well, and there was actually times which you guys never saw or never knew, but I was actually giving um, a lot of really tough... I would pick an enemy that would be incredibly difficult that would actually be harder than you should have been able to defeat, but I was actually only giving it like... If you successfully made X amount of attacks, you killed it in this one way or some other. There were some I actually let you guys hack away at the HP because it would create a different dynamic in suspense. But um, I had read an amazing post on Reddit forever ago, and it was titled something like the 16 HP dragon, where a guy threw a big terrifying dragon at... And Jason, you may have even shared this link with me. Yeah, that's about Dungeon World. Yeah where it borrows from that idea instead because then it's like you know it's a bunch of level one characters they're all still heroes and i mean they should be celebrated and treated as heroes in in the sense of what's thrown at them but you know if you throw a a dragon at a level one party they're gonna apps they will absolutely get decimated and then this whole like concept plays off the idea of like um uh, basically like the hobbit with with smog it's like you know yeah it's a big ugly dragon but god if you find that one hole in the scales it is just as fragile as anything else so the players have a very hard time hitting 
but they can still manage to do that miraculous shot because they are heroes that they can drop a giant beast. I think that's, I mean, that's definitely true. Like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, falls into a category where you have to scale to the monsters and the monsters don't scale to you. So I, I, I understand that. That's, yeah, so there's definitely yep. times I, I threw you guys that 16 HP dragon, but I mean, there were enough combats that we did that just dragged down where the combat in dungeon world becomes a little bit more narrative and a little bit more suspenseful because not every combat ends in just, we killed the things. It's like, Oh crap, things have gotten out of hand and now we're retreating. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's like one of those things we're going to try it. I mean, I already know Jason and I like it because uh, we did a one-on-one campaign, which Dungeon World's not really built for, but we made it work. Yeah, not at all. And we actually but it had a really good story come out of it. And then because that worked for us, I went, "What the heck?" I tried that with my brother, and we did it online. And I, I ran a campaign, a mini campaign for him, and that actually went really well. And he had a really good time with it too. So it's not really designed to do one-on-one, but it can be made to work. So I mean, we'll try it. If everybody hates it, hey, we all know D&D. We can go right back into it. Um, converting characters might be a little tricky. but So, yeah, I guess next week will hopefully um, give us some stories to start to tell because next week we'll have to just kind of re-roll our characters to have the stats right for um, Dungeon World, which really is easy and doesn't take a lot of time because we already have all the backstories created. And I guess we'll just start an, an intro session and see where we go. Looking forward to it. Yeah, see how it goes. Yeehaw! All right, so... Next um, episode, we catalog the catastrophic failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It can go perfectly no, fine, it's going to go know. good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just hoping that you and your brother are into it, because you both kind of sounded hesitant. Yeah, you, so you I hope it, it to Apocalypse up. World, which is instantly like, man, zero interest. In, in that was my fault. Yep. That was my fault. And yeah, I, I don't want to be mean, but we can totally blame that on Jason. Head, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like... Because when you ran our solo Dungeon World campaign, you did amazing. But then again... I had the benefit of Apocalypse you did that over World? text. So. Yeah, but <laughs> Apocalypse World is also the first thing you ever DM'd, and you had just barely learned the system. Yeah, I was. it was intimidating. I remember... Um, so in Apocalypse World, you know, it, you, you don't plan anything ahead of time. You basically create the characters and then you follow them in their footsteps for a day, basically for the remainder of the session. And I remember we created the characters and we took a break and I was like sweating and just going, what are we going to do? I have no idea. Yeah. This sucks. This is going to be terrible. And I think it turned out okay, but yeah, I think it was, it wasn't I, I, I know all of the ideas and things that we were going to maybe do in the future still. So it has that positive tint to it in my head where you guys were just kind of like, what are we doing? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> we're well, doing and that D&D was the starter set now. <laughs> I mean, that was like, what? That was four years ago. It was a long time. Five actually. years ago. Yeah. It was quite a Three or four. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Four years ago. And then, then that for me, that was the first time I had ever actually like, and I can't believe it took me this long in life to play a tabletop RPG, but that was the first time I had ever done a tabletop RPG. So I was completely new to it. I had no idea how to even really interact with it. So it was a lot of, weird firsts which is what i think made it so odd but i don't think the world systems are really i think they they are good it was just it was a weird situation for all of us i mean lots of people play them but i mean ultimately it's just a matter of finding the game that works for the group and we'll we'll see where this lands i think i can do wonders with it we'll see yeah worth trying all right so let's um let's hit it and quit it let's do the what are you looking forward to uh bill you want to give us a quick uh little bit about warhammer 40k 8th edition yeah they uh they've done something weird and they've actually talked about the game before they released it um that's never really happened before um from games workshop um in the show notes there'll be a link to their community site uh, the warhammer community site is something new that they're doing where they actually post things about their games and talk about their games with people um once upon a time games workshop made a very distinct point to not talk to their players um unless you were in their store and buying stuff from them directly and solid business model yep, they, <laughs> it seems like they're really working on that lately there's so much are. competition for yep. their business now that yes. they must have realized they need to turn things around yeah. wait a minute so customer feedback is important uh no weird the, the guy who was in charge left and the person who's in charge now actually understands what these games are i think is what it comes down to um it sounded 
I mean, from what you read online, it sounds like there might have been kind of a toxic culture of people in there, you know, just trying to appease board members versus actually making oh, a game to play. And there's no reason you can't do both. I mean, like, the, the, this is a hobby, and it's people's extra money and disposable income. You you got you to gotta play along with them, or they're going to go spend their disposable income elsewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, over the years, uh, they stopped, they got rid of their Facebooks, they stopped putting stuff on YouTube, they closed their own forums down, they um, actively sought out to shut down other sites involving talking about Warhammer, um, that kind of thing, cease and desists, all kinds of terrible things. Um, what's neat is that, uh, is that um, you know, Warhammer community is not a place where they're actually posting things like, hey, check this out, uh, here's how the shooting phase is going to work in the new game. Here's how... Uh, wounds are going to work. Here's how stats are going to be looking and how they're changing uh, from the current edition to the next. And uh, they're posting little videos. They got people that are writing the fluff, making videos and talking about it. They got people that are writing the rules, making a video and talking about it for 10 minutes. And these are like, this is just completely mind blowing. Um, so I'm excited that they're actually trying um, to put out a new version of the game. Uh, there's a, a bunch of people online that, um, you know, if you dive into comments which is a terrible terrible place to go um there's a, a lot of people that are concerned that they're going to quote-unquote age of sigmar the game um, and what, what they mean by that is warhammer fantasy um before it became age of sigmar uh was a very complex rule set with a lot of nuances in it and a lot of broken things inside of it as well age of sigmar paired all of these rules like dozens and dozens of pages of rules down to four and made a very tight core rule set that um, doesn't leave a whole lot to the imagination in terms of how you should play the game. There are some things that are still, you know, for those that have played the older games, there's things that want to creep back in, you know, that are no longer there. Um, but after playing Age of Sigmar a couple of times now, it's it's a pretty solid rule set, and it's actually very fun to play. It's, it's way less complicated to teach, um, and maybe that's just because I've played a lot of war games. It was easy for me to pick up. That is probably the case, but I feel like I could teach it a lot easier than I could teach older Warhammer Fantasy. Um, it's the same thing that makes you know Kings of War appealing to me. Same same concept, same same idea. Um, so is this new edition when's it come out? I think it comes out later this month. They put up pre-orders. Um, I pre-ordered their core rulebook and um, some of their Imperial Codex books. Um, they so uh, Warhammer 40k typically is. There's a core rule book, there is a codex or a set of rules for your army, and then obviously the figures and dice and stuff that go for your army. Um, they took all of the existing lines of miniatures, existing armies, and put them into stat books. Um, this is something that Warhammer used to do a long time ago when I started playing as a kid. Um, you would basically buy like a bestiary book or an army book, and all of the armies were inside of it, and you didn't have to buy one book for each army. And then they got away from that, and they went to one book per army. So now, yeah, that's crappy. Yeah, so now they now they released like two books, and that covers like fifteen armies. Um, and they're they're relatively inexpensive. I think they're only twenty five bucks a piece, which is uh, if you buy things from Game Workshop, Games Workshop, that's extremely cheap. Um, almost none of their books are under fifty bucks. Um, f for reference, the Shadow War Armageddon book was a forty dollar book, and I thought that was a bargain because most of their books are extremely expensive. Uh, the the print quality and other things they they do make nice books. It's not like they just give you a, you know a stapled pamphlet. It's nice stuff, but um, that's a whole other thing. But uh, what is neat is that uh, they're doing this, which means for the uh, two armies I have, uh, I have Imperial Guard or Astra Militarum because they couldn't actually trademark Imperial Guard and uh, Space Marines, um, and they uh, so there's two books that cover all the. The, the dudes I got sitting in cases, uh, which is pretty great. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, one of the one other part of the rule set that I thought was interesting um, was that they had um, an apocalypse rule set previously. I'm not sure where that's uh, that's headed, but that's uh, definitely coming up. Uh, you know, I'm sure in the near future, hopefully, they'll have some sort of rule set for it. Um, apocalypse is just a large scale, you know, version of the game where you play with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of figures instead of a hundred each or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, cause it needs, it needs more scale. Um, I mean the scale is, is definitely fun. I mean, I like I played most of the 40 K I've played has been at that scale and I enjoy that a lot. 
um, but only because the people I do that with are very understanding of the rules and are there for the story and not like going to nitpick you on rules and quirks and little stuff like that. So, but yeah, no, looking forward to it. Uh, later this month, I want to say end of the month, uh, the books will all ship out. The game will be out. Uh, a lot of people are already posting videos of pre-release stuff. So I'm assuming cool. there, there's copies out now. All right. Nice. Um, so Jason, you're going to actually get to do some weekend gaming. Yeah, I'm excited for it. The game group that I'm part of meets twice a month and i've been making maybe one of those or less every month so it feels like it's been quite a while and i'm excited just because there's some bigger games that people are talking about playing that i might get to play like game of thrones which you guys are all familiar with or uh yep um new angeles mm-hmm. which is a game that takes place in that netrunner universe which i really like that oh, universe neat. a lot oh, and cool. this is sort of a um like a political negotiation type of game sort of like uh that Battlestar Galactica board game. I don't know if you guys ever played that or not, but uh no. Kind of kind of replaces it because I don't it. think that Fantasy Flight has the license for Battlestar Galactica anymore, so they had to release their own <laughs> their own game that falls in that line. But um yeah, I'm just looking forward to actually getting to sit down and play a bunch of games for a day. Cool. That's awesome. So, um, I actually did, no, we haven't played this in a very long time, but I picked up a copy of The Resistance. What? Nice. Yes. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it along, um, camping this weekend. Um, we're going camping with my wife's family. And then also, I think this is, this is something that I, I wanted to just have around as like a family game in general for family get togethers. Just because it is, it can be fun. It's not hard to teach. I mean, this is a game that really, if you just had like a pair of scissors, um, some stuff you could cut out, and like a deck of normal playing cards, you could you could probably do your own resistance without That's actually. That's how we owning. played it before the retail versions yeah, right. came out. I was say, that, like, yeah, exactly. You made some, put some together, didn't you, Jason? Yeah, it was just playing cards. Right. And it worked incredibly well. Um, and that's the thing too; it's easy to teach. I always feel a little bit bad because um, my brother-in-law, like he has, um, oh, let me look quick. He he's recently gotten Time Stories and uh, Dead of Winter, and they're both relatively involved. And every time we have a get together, he brings them, and I feel so bad because we never get around to playing them. Because it's like you know, by the time everybody does dinner, we finish hanging out with the kid. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, and now it's nine o'clock and I need to go lay down. Dead of Winter is not that fun either. No? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. I play tested the crap out of it. My name is in the rule book. Um, oh, right. fantastic. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I it I got sick of it fairly quickly. Okay. It, yeah. Well, what I'm so actually, I have a couple of questions for you on that. But like, so I'm hoping that with this, you know, I'm sure they'll bring some games along camping. I don't know. And everybody usually brings like Coob or like something that's more of like a yard game kind of thing. But I'm kind of hoping that, you know, it's like, hey, if anybody wants to play a quick card game that's something a little different, this should be easy enough to teach and something that doesn't take too long. So that's, well, that's something you can part. play around a campfire, too. You don't need to be yes. sitting around a table. Exactly. So yeah, that's why I always feel a little bit back whenever I get together with them and we have everybody staying at our house. It's like by the time you could actually play a game, it's like it's too late and everybody's going to bed. Because it's just, it's just not, you need to, you need to like dedicate a day to just sitting down and be like, okay, today we are playing board games, which then you can't do with a three-year-old because they knock all the pieces down because they get pissed off because now they're not, you're not paying attention to them. They're bad gamers. <laughs> they're terrible. <laughs> children, young children are terrible strategy gamers. But so, like, tell me a little bit about, like, so, like, um, that Time Stories game sounded fascinating to me, but it sounds super complex, so there's no way that's a quick game, but I definitely have to try it at some point. That one, what's interesting about that is you pretty much play it through once, and you know the game and can't repeat it. By once, I mean you play several sessions. Basically, the idea behind that game is that you are, like, going back in time or somewhere in time and basically trying to complete some sort of mission or time loop type of thing where you can fail repeatedly, and each time you play it, you're trying to, like, refine the way you go through it. Sure. once you know, like, the best way to complete the game, then you can't play it again. But for that game, they keep releasing more and more content for it. 
That's a, that's interesting. So yeah, that's definitely not a quick game. And then so like Dead of Winter, is that just an, another like zombie survival game where it's just it's zombie survival with somewhat of a social deduction element to it, similar to like the Resistance, where there's somebody that can be a traitor. Um, the game is mostly cooperative, unless there is that traitor. Um, I don't know. It's it's fun for a few games, but like I said, I played it. I played it, I think, 10 times in the span of three or four weeks. <laughs> That's too so, much for any game almost. Yeah, it was. I burnt out on it pretty quick. So when I actually got the copy of the game, I played it once or twice then and felt like I kind of saw everything the game offered, so I traded it away. Yeah, well, sometimes you just have that. Not everything has that infinite replayability to it, and that's always, I would think, um, and like I know I've mentioned before, I'm working on a game concept, which I've had no time to absolutely touch, but that's definitely the hard thing. It's like, how do you come up with something where if you want it to be that long-living game on that shelf where you know you can always go back to it, like how do you how do you create that? I mean, there's so many games out there now. I just Luckily, nobody really plays games like that anymore. They play it twice and they're done. Yeah, I know everything's become so disposable, which is a little sad to me, but I mean Yeah, just put your there's only, on there's only so many, no problem. Yeah, there's only so many ways to invent different board games at this point. Well, I guess on that sad note, that's probably a good place to cut it, don't you think, guys? Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. So anything we've mentioned, any links that we have to share, will wind up in the show notes. Um if you found us through a source other than our website um again our website is www.lostdice.com um just look for the post for episode three show notes will be there um so thanks for listening and uh hope you find your dice